Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everyone, to our show today, which is April 10th, 2019. I have such a special guest today. He's returning to us. He's been on our show several times. His name is John Vespasian. And today we're going to talk about his latest book, Disrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. And he always has such an interesting way of educating us because he always interjects history into his books. So without further ado, let's bring him on now. Hi, John. Hi, uh, Denise. Uh, Thanks for having me on. When did you get started writing books and why did you get started? I got started uh, right about 10 years ago, um, and it was because I thought uh, I could produce something that uh, nobody else was doing, uh, which is a mixture of uh, history, uh, personal development, uh, personal finance, the, the subjects I, I really like. And um, uh, nobody was writing at the time uh, historical books um, with a practical angle. Because what I do is uh, to go through hundreds of uh, biographies and, and uh, events in history and try to extract uh, very practical principles that uh, readers can uh, put into practice right away. So I use history as a teaching tool, um, knowing that uh, for most people, myself included, uh, when we started history at school, it was extremely boring. Uh, because the way it's presented at school mostly is a series of uh, dates and events that uh, don't mean much uh, to the audience. So I have turned history into a very practical, uh, very synthetic uh, tool uh, for um, uh, predicting the future and making better decisions. Yeah, it really is true. I learned so much from you from every single book, things that perhaps I was taught in history and have since forgotten or things that I was never taught. And the amount of research that you do is just unbelievable when it comes to pulling just one book together. So let's get into your latest book. How did you come up with the idea of Disrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions? I came with the idea, um, uh, well, at the moment, I have to say I'm, I'm learning Russian now for um, uh, one and a half years because I want to enter the, the Russian market. I want to do interviews in Russia. 
and I'm reading a lot of Russian uh, biographies. And I was reading a biography of um, an industrialist, an entrepreneur. Uh, his name is Mamontov. And he's actually very famous um, uh, in Russian history. Not very well known outside Russia, but in, in Russian history uh, is the equivalent of uh, Andrew Carnegie in the US. He was uh, running uh, railroads in the 19th century, building um, uh, railroads uh, basically on the eastern part of Russia. He was very wealthy. Uh, well-educated, like, like most Russians uh, in the 19th century, most uh, aristocracy, they were educated in, um, in uh, France or in, in the rest of Europe. He spoke several languages. Uh, he had um, uh, started uh, a very successful um, railroad, was uh, quoted in the stock market in Russia. And this guy who in his mid-40s was uh, a, a, a big celebrity, uh, destroyed his life, destroyed his life completely uh, because he made a series of mistakes, which is the following. He had this, this uh, very successful company. Uh, he thought he could do anything. So at a certain moment, uh, he wanted to expand his business. Uh, he went into uh, steel manufacturing because he wanted to make uh, locomotives. He wanted to make uh, railways. Uh, he started to lose money. He started to lose a huge amount of money because he realized that uh, the skills he had uh, for running a service company were completely different uh, from those uh, you need to run a steel uh, factory, a steel mill. Uh, he didn't know much about the technology, so he started to lose money. And what did he do? He had uh, the possibility to actually to go bankrupt uh, in his uh, steel company because he was separated. And he, um, he refused to do it. Instead of uh, going burn up and say, okay, I made a mistake, I cannot do it, it's too difficult for me, he has started to uh, use money from the railroad uh, to cover the losses in his uh, steel manufacturing. And it wasn't a problem if the company belonged to him 100%, but he had shareholders and he had uh, uh, bondholders. They found out and they sued him because he was taking money from one company to pay for the losses of another. So to cut a long story short, he was tried for embezzlement. Uh, he was sued uh, by the shareholders. Uh, the trial was on the first page of Russian newspapers uh, for a year. It was like, a, imagine a top Hollywood uh, celebrity uh, doing this kind of stuff. So Mamontov was sued. Uh, he was almost sent to jail. Eventually he didn't go to jail, but he lost everything. He lost his, uh, his businesses, his houses, his art collection. He was thrown in the street. His friends wouldn't talk to him. Nobody would talk to him. He was ostracized. And he spent uh, the last uh, 13 years of his life in complete uh, misery and isolation. And I found the story very intriguing because how could it, a very intelligent, very sophisticated um, a person, uh, highly educated, how could he destroy his life uh, totally and completely? And then um, I got the idea for the book, okay, to go through this kind of stories to understand uh, why uh, human beings make these kind of mistakes and to find uh, solutions, uh, to find stories uh, where I show how people can uh, correct those mistakes and how they can prevent uh, those mistakes. So this is the idea for the book, um, to understand why human beings uh, uh, go through these disruptions and how mm -hmm. we can uh, remedy them. You, you really have my curiosity on this one. 
Uh, yes, um, uh, the principle that uh, that goes through the stories after going through a lot of biographies, uh, you get an answer to the question. And the answer is that uh, when you're facing uh, great adversity, uh, whether it's your health, uh, when people become very sick, uh, when you have um, uh, financial problems, uh, when you have problems in your career and you lose your job, whatever, uh, there is a principle that uh, you will find in every successful story, and it's the following. When you're facing these kind of problems, uh, you have to, rea to react to them uh, by using your strengths, not by improvising. 99% of the, of the world uh, would react uh, to problems by improvising. They would lose their job and they would try to get a job in an area uh, they know little about, or they would go bankrupt and then they start another business uh, making exactly the same mistakes, or they lose their health. And instead of trying to understand uh, why they got sick in the first place, uh, they would try uh, some uh, solutions that uh, are very short term oriented and do not really address the problem. And the, the principle uh, applies, I say, to nature in general, it's not only to human beings. Uh, when you go through, um, uh, through the history of, uh, of evolution and you see how the world uh, has been created, you see exactly the same problem and the same solution. Let me just give you an example that I took from the book. Uh, one of the, um, the stories I tell in the book is about um, a, a, a naturalist, a, a biologist. Uh, his name was Kowalewski. And Kowalewski uh, discovered uh, this principle uh, by studying horses. And it's a very interesting story because Kowalewski, he studied uh, law uh, in uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, and then he became very interested in the theory of evolution. Uh, he read uh, Darwin, he translated uh, Darwin into Russia. Uh, he actually went to the, to the United Kingdom uh, to meet uh, some uh, very uh, important authors. And when he went back to Russia, uh, he decided to change his career and he became um, a geologist and a paleontologist. So he studied uh, the evolution of, um, of animals and human uh, in across history. And Kowalewski came with an answer uh, that nobody uh, before him had actually found. That is the following. When you go to museums and you find uh, fossils, uh, from uh, thousands of, uh, of um, uh, years ago, millions of years ago, you find the United States, I think in the U.S. is very common, you find these this, uh, fossils of uh, small horses. And there was a question in the 19th century that nobody knew the answer to, uh, how is it possible that these horses, and these horses were very small, they were the size of a cat, how is it possible that uh, today in the, in the 21st century, in the 19th century, that you have these horses that are quite big and they are very, very fast and very, very strong? Uh, before Kowalewski, uh, everybody believed that uh, these small horses and the current horses, they were different uh, species. They were completely different. They have nothing to do with each other. And Kowalewski, uh, for the first time, he came up with the idea that uh, these small horses uh, became very big and very strong uh, through disruption. And it was uh, very original thinking uh, because nobody, uh, and people have been studying the story, this story of the horses for uh, 300 years. And Kowalewski said, maybe something forced uh, the horses uh, to become bigger. 
And this is the, the principle that I present in the book. Why did the small horses became uh, bigger, stronger, and faster? Uh, Kowalewski said that uh, uh, at a certain moment, uh, these small horses that used to live in the woods and uh, they used to eat uh, leaves, uh, they were forced to change uh, their environment because the, the uh, trees must have been growing uh, too high because there was a change in the atmosphere. And they have to go out and try to get food uh, from the prairie. And this was very dangerous because they were big cats. Uh, they would run around, uh, after the horses. So in the end, uh, the horses started uh, to die and a few started to survive. And which ones survived? The ones that uh, by any chance they were a bit bigger, a bit stronger, and a bit faster. And eventually, generation after generation, uh, the horses began to get uh, bigger and bigger, uh, faster and faster, stronger and stronger, because they have to deal with the new environment. They have to deal with um, uh, the disruption. And this is a, a very important principle. Uh, the horses uh, did not create new features. They just uh, reacted by using the, the features they already had. They already had the ability to run. Uh, they already had the ability to grow. But little by little, they just built on these as assets. And generation after generation, they became a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and a little bit faster. Because those who could um, uh, run faster, they would reproduce faster. They would have more uh, children, more uh, small horses. And eventually, uh, they would generate uh, um, uh, a, a bigger, wider generation, and they would have more and more descendants. So this is a principle that uh, you can apply to human beings. When you are reacting to a new environment, when you are reacting to a crisis, like these horses that uh, could not find food anymore in the, in the woods, and they have to go into the prairie, you have to rely on your assets, uh, your existing skills, uh, your existing uh, qualities. Don't try to improvise, uh, because if you try to improvise, uh, you will fall prey uh, to the big cats, you will fall prey to, uh, to disruption. And in every story that I present in the book, you find this, this principle together with other principles. But this is one of the main ideas of the book. Uh, you have to rely on your skills. And first, you have to know uh, which skills and which strengths you have, which is not uh, self-evident, because many people don't even think uh, which are their strong points, but uh, the principle always works. If you rely on your strengths, if you rely on your skills, uh, your ability to uh, to go through disruptions uh, is a million times higher, a million times higher than if you try to improvise. Mm, completely makes sense. It really does. And I loved your example, of horses. So, what lessons well, can um, we learn? Maybe we can Yes, go ahead, Denise. I'm just curious, what lessons can we learn from people who have survived these really big adversities? You know, we're kind of looking at the yeah, other side uh, of the coin. Yeah, there, um, there are some interesting principles um, that are counterintuitive. Um, because you see in people like Mamontas, the, the first story I told about this Russian uh, um, industrialist, uh, people who improvise, like Mamontov did, uh, will fail. But uh, there are other strategies that are also uh, super important. Let me just give you another story. Um, one of the, uh, uh, I would say, strategies that uh, you see in people who go through disruptions uh, very successfully 
is that they usually keep uh, a backup uh, plan or a backup uh, tactic or strategy. Um, and this has a very huge uh, psychological impact. Uh, because if you try to do, um, uh, to go through, I don't know, a crisis or a sickness or, or uh, you lose your job, whatever, or you try to change your career, um, if you just uh, take a huge risk, and this is uh, something that you see in, in all, uh, well, almost all uh, personal development books nowadays. Nowadays, they tell you, oh, just do it, uh, go for it, uh, don't think about it, uh, take a risk. And this is not a very sound strategy. Uh, when you analyze the, the lives of people who, um, who very effectively uh, have gone through change, uh, you don't find this uh, attitude of uh, whatever it takes. And uh, it is very disruptive because then you get a huge amount of stress. In addition to the problems you're facing, you're very stressed because you don't know you're going to survive. And one of the uh, uh, archetypes of uh, people who go through uh, disruptions, and they did it very cleverly, very cleverly is uh, Albert Schweitzer. He lived in the 1950s, 1960s. He was a very famous uh, philanthropist. Um, he was uh, uh, a theologian in, uh, in Europe. And he had the idea that he wanted to change his life. He wanted to go to Africa and start a hospital. Eventually he did, and he became very famous because he was uh, living uh, in Western Africa. And he was uh, a, a physician, and he was giving uh, free healthcare uh, to thousands of people, and he, he did it for uh, several decades. And the story of Schweitzer is fascinating because you find this, uh, this uh, professor in the university, he was professor in Strasbourg in France. He was teaching theology. Uh, he was very unhappy with his life. And at a certain point, he decided uh, he wanted to become a very radical Christian and to spend his life uh, uh, helping other people. And he came up with the idea of going to Africa and becoming a missionary. And everybody told him that he was crazy because he had uh, uh, a PhD. He had spent uh, 20 years uh, building his academic career. He had written several books. But uh, the problem with Schweitzer is that he was very unhappy. And this happens to people sometimes that uh, they have built a business or a career or a lifestyle and they could be regarded as uh, successful, but uh, they are not happy. They say they are missing something, they want to do something else, they want to go uh, through disruptions. And the story of Schweitzer is, uh, I say, it's an archetype because you see someone who voluntarily uh, decides to go through great uh, disruptions to change his life because he wants to do something else. And Schweitzer did it in a very, very clever way. And I found the story uh, very intriguing because you have to imagine for a second uh, the level of stress that you would get if you have a very uh, successful job, you have your friends, uh, you live in a small town in, a, in, in France, and then you tell everybody, I want to go to Africa, I want to quit my job, I want to quit uh, my career, I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going through a major uh, disruption in my life. And what is, what is the, the backup uh, solution? What happens if I fail and I destroy my life completely? And the question was not uh, negligible. Actually, everybody told uh, Schweitzer that he was going to fail. 
that he was going to destroy his life uh, for nothing. So the guy was very clever, but still wanted to do it. And the, the reason um, I use the story is because he found the key uh, to going through this kind of major changes uh, with minimum risk. And what Schweitzer did is the following. Uh, he was uh, a very passionate uh, uh, musician. He used to play the, the organ in the church, in the cathedral, every Sunday. So when he went to Africa, uh, what he did, uh, eventually he, he, he took uh, a, a degree in medicine, took him three years, and eventually he went to Africa with, um, with, as a missionary, and he bought uh, a second-hand uh, upright piano very, very cheaply and took the piano to Africa because while he was building his hospital and uh, building his new life, he would play the piano every day for one hour because he wanted to make sure that if he failed in his African uh, mission, he could always go back to Europe and make money uh, with his music. He could uh, play uh, music in the church. He could give concerts. So while he was building his new career, uh, going through these uh, major disruptions to, to get used to a new country, uh, to a new environment, he always kept his skills as a musician at a very high level. And he did it many times that he ran out of money when he was in Africa, and then he went back to Europe and he gave uh, concerts in different uh, cathedrals uh, in Europe, uh, organ uh, concerts, and he raised money uh, for a few months, and then he went back to Africa. And he, he did it uh, very successfully for decades. And I think this is a very important lesson. Uh, when you are going through uh, disruptions, uh, you should keep your skills uh, your basic skills at a very high level. Uh, don't get um, uh, depressed and don't get uh, anxious to the extent that you give up and say, I cannot do anything. Uh, you have to spend the time, if it takes an hour a day, like uh, Schweitzer did, I mean, you have to imagine this guy in the middle of nowhere in Africa playing the piano every day, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, every day, to keep his uh, musical skills just in case he needs to make some money. And this is a very uh, important lesson. Uh, you will go through disruptions in life. Uh, sometimes you will be very discouraged, but uh, take the example of Schweitzer and always uh, spend the time uh, to keep your skills at a very high level because eventually uh, you can rely on them and it will reduce your level of stress uh, very substantially. Mhm. Yeah, and it's it's a very common theme in a lot of your books. Um, yes, indeed. Um, it's very uh, counterintuitive uh, because mm -hmm. when you're facing a crisis, or when you imagine that uh, you have to change uh, careers, uh, like Schweitzer, because uh, you just want to do something else, uh, to go against the grain and say, "Okay, I'm going to Africa. I'm going to try whatever." Uh, to go against the improvisation and say, okay, pff, I, I, will, I will do whatever. I will, I will try to, to face the situation as it comes. Uh, this is very risky. And you would get a situation where you'd be so stressed and so anxious that uh, you will make mistake after mistake. It's very, very, um, very, very good to do like Schweitzer. To keep mm -hmm. always a backup uh, solution uh, for your finances, for your health, for your business, 
because then you will always be able to sleep. Huh? You know, okay, if it doesn't work, fine, then I go back and do and do my uh, my basic thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you run across how many people actually have multiple skills to be able to do that? Well, uh, I would say that everybody um, does that. Uh, the problem is we are not aware of that because we try to imagine that uh, you're doing some kind of job or you're doing some kind of uh, career and it takes uh, 10 hours or 12 hours a day, like uh, for most people, and you have the feeling that uh, this is the only thing you can do. This is the only thing uh, that uh, uh, you can imagine because you've been doing this for 10 years, 20 years, but uh, like Schweitzer, if you look into your life and you look into your uh, hobbies and you look into your, um, uh, what you do every day, you will find uh, that within the complexity, there are a lot of simple skills that sometimes you take for granted, but uh, most people will not possess because you've been doing this uh, activity or this business or this profession uh, for 20 years. Uh, maybe you have uh, a great um, uh, speaking abilities or you can or you can write or you can or you know a, 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 a territory or you know a, a business or a or a, a marketing uh, system which is uh, very effective and you take it for granted you say okay but well, i mean this is part of business but you have to realize that uh, 99% of the people will not have your knowledge and will not have your skills and you have to identify uh, your strengths and you have to spend some time uh, thinking about them because it is not self evident uh, we tend to be so close to our own lives that uh, we don't take uh, the time to look at ourselves from the outside and realize uh, how much we know, how, much, how many people we know, how many um, activities uh, we can do uh, very easily, uh, while other people will find it very difficult. And these kind of skills you have to cultivate, you have to, uh, to uh, keep them at a high level because they can really, they can literally uh, save your life. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's 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 a good way of putting it. It really is. Huh. Now, your book um, kind of has a warning in it, and you know, most of your books are very um, uplifting, but this particular one talks about the prophets of doom. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, um, this is a, a, a psychological aspect that at the same time is very practical. Um, because, I mean, you see a country like the United States, or now Europe, you could say, and you have uh, millions of people uh, with such level of uh, stress and depression that are um, taking medication every day. I read recently that uh, there were 50 million people in the U.S., only in the U.S., uh, just taking medication against uh, depression, anxiety, uh, high stress. And if you extrapolate uh, this figure uh, worldwide, you're talking about uh, hundreds of millions of people. And this is very serious. And this is uh, essentially uh, because um, we don't learn uh, the tools uh, to deal with disruption. Uh, people tend to become uh, so stressed and so uh, despondent uh, when they deal uh, with um, uh, negative situations that uh, they collapse completely. And there is, um, 
this is a cultural uh, situation, I think, because uh, we're used uh, to the fiction that uh, our lives will always continue in the same way. And it's a very, very strong, very uh, appealing fiction. We tend to believe that uh, if we are successful today, tomorrow will be more or less the same. If we're healthy, uh, tomorrow will be more or less the same. If our business is making money, uh, next year will be 5% better or 20% better. And we try to project uh, ourselves in the future without uh, making uh, plans for disaster. Uh, this is one of the main ideas of the book. When you see people uh, who have uh, very effectively gone through uh, travel waters, uh, they tend to be a little bit paranoid. They tend to have always uh, the skills and the plans uh, to face uh, very difficult situations. Let me just uh, give you uh, one of the examples of the book, uh, which I found very intriguing. Uh, and this is the, the story um, from the buildings of uh, the building of European cathedrals. When you, if you go to Europe on holidays, uh, or you go to France or to Italy or to Spain, one of the things that uh, tourists uh, love to visit is these medieval cathedrals, uh, Gothic cathedrals. They are very tall. They're very beautiful. Uh, they have these uh, huge windows, and you have to realize that uh, they were built uh, by people. Uh, we were extremely poor, and we are talking now uh, 11th century, 12th century. Uh, people had barely enough to eat. Uh, people were also very small uh, physically. At that time, uh, the average height of uh, men was um, uh, five feet. So people were really, really small. And uh, they had been living uh, in a very uh, limited uh, economy uh, for centuries. Uh, nobody had uh, a clue how to build these high buildings. They had the technology, more or less, because they knew uh, how to uh, build uh, walls, how to build uh, churches. But uh, until the uh, 13th century, so until the 12th century, um, nobody actually figured out how to build these huge, huge, huge uh, buildings. And uh, this is because... Uh, there were so many disruptions when you try to do these projects that uh, even today, even in the 21st century, it's very difficult uh, to do a huge uh, project. You need a very big company with uh, a lot of capital to build a bridge or to build uh, a, a railway. And for the first time in the 12th century, uh, there was one guy, he was uh, Sujet, uh, who made um, a very interesting discovery about how to deal with disruptions. And this sujet, uh, he was um, a monk. Uh, he lived uh, next to Paris in a small place called Saint-Denis. And sujet uh, had been traveling because he was a monk in monastery. And he had been uh, going uh, during his uh, uh, youth. He had been going through different monasteries in Europe because it was a very common practice uh, in the Middle Ages that uh, you would wear a monk and every few years you go to a different monastery and then you learn, uh, you talk to people, you go through the library. And Sujet was a very curious uh, person. He went uh, uh, around France and he came back eventually to his monastery. He became the abbot of Saint-Denis. And they had a very old church from the fifth century. It was very small. It was very crappy in the sense that uh, it was falling apart. Uh, the windows were broken. So eventually he wanted to, uh, to rebuild it. 
And Sujie was very clever. He thought maybe we can do something bigger. Maybe we can do something that uh, nobody has done before. And he came up with, uh, with the answer, and this is why I present the, the story in the book, the answer to dealing with uh, a lot of disruptions. Because when Suji started uh, with the idea of building this, uh, for the first time in history, to building this uh, huge cathedral, he had to deal uh, with a number of disruptions that, uh, by, by our standards, they are unbelievable. I mean, he had to deal with very, very cold weather. Uh, Europe was extremely cold in the 12th century. Uh, I mean, like the north of Canada, it was extremely cold. You could not work out uh, outside uh, in the winter. People could uh, barely do anything for six months a year. You have to deal with very low skills uh, because most workers in the 12th century, they could not even read. So you could not actually give instructions because people were completely ignorant. They would speak different languages. So it was also difficult uh, to communicate. Uh, it was also very difficult to transport uh, uh, building materials. And uh, when you build a cathedral, you need thousands and thousands of stones. So Suji uh, found these problems, uh, disruptions, that uh, they are very similar to the type of disruptions that you have to face uh, when you're starting a business. Uh, and then you have uh, to find an answer. And Suji came up with the answer that is a, is a principle that uh, you can still use today. I, I think it's the major principle. Uh, for running projects uh, successfully. And Sujie made a list of all these problems. Uh, he figured out uh, how to solve them. And, and what he did was the following. He took uh, all his resources because he knew uh, what he could afford. He could afford to hire about 100 people. And he designed uh, a way of working that uh, allowed him to deal with any problem um, by working smoothly through the year. And he did, for example, uh, a, a very simple budget. Say, okay, I can't afford uh, this amount of uh, resources. I now have to deal with cold weather. I have to deal with transportation problems. I have to deal with um, uh, low skills. I have to deal with uh, communication problems. So he did an absolute minimum uh, plan of what he could afford, and he worked around that. He, um, for instance, one of the things he did which was super clever, and nobody in history had actually figured out how to do it before, was that he said, okay, what is the easiest way to protect uh, the project against the disruptions? And he said, the, the easiest way to do it is to, to try to keep uh, the team together uh, for the 10 years it's going to take to build the cathedral. So he built, uh, the first thing he did, instead of building the cathedral, he built houses uh, for the workers, so he could offer them uh, a long-term employment, so that people wouldn't leave during the during the winter, and he organized the work in a way that he could always keep going in any circumstances. So, for instance, uh, during the um, uh, winter, what he did uh, was to have his uh, his masons uh, to work on uh, the stones, so they could cut the stones uh, working indoors. And then during the summer, he used the same people uh, to build the cathedral, to build the walls. And when uh, September came, they would go back inside uh, to cut stone. So he could always work smoothly uh, through the disruptions. And this is a super important principle. When you're running a business or you're uh, trying to build a career, you have to deal uh, with a lot of disruptions, a lot of problems. 
many of them are not uh, uh, under your control, but you can always uh, design a, a working system like Suget did in the 12th century that allows you to work smoothly uh, through the difficulties because if you cannot go into direction A, because Suget knew that he could not build during the winter because it was too cold, then you have to keep uh, in your system, in your design, you have to keep the possibility to work on something else. I say, okay, I cannot, a, I cannot do A today because uh, my customers are not available, so I'm going to work on B. Uh, that is also useful, and eventually when I can go to back to A, then I do it. And then you don't even get stressed because you have uh, this system that allows you to use your time very effectively, whatever happens. And this is a principle that uh, Suger discovered uh, in the Middle Ages. We're talking in the 12th century, so it's, it's uh, 1,000 years ago, almost. Uh, this is a, exactly the principle you need today uh, to deal with a lot of disruptions because it will reduce your level of stress and will make you extremely effective uh, no matter mm-hmm. what. Yeah, always have a backup plan. Yeah, you need a backup plan. You need a, 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 a path uh, or a series of steps that uh, allows you to work smoothly uh, no matter what. And this is also a very good um, uh, system for uh, keeping uh, yourself healthy uh, because otherwise when people become super stressed because they get blocked and they, they spend the whole day thinking, oh, I cannot do it, I cannot do it, I cannot do it, it's what I'm going to do. And they go crazy, literally crazy. And this is why you have so many people uh, with depression because they cannot see uh, a different path. They see that uh, the normal path is blocked and then they go crazy because uh, they think that their life uh, is a disaster. Uh, this mm-hmm. is absolutely normal. When you cannot do A, uh, you have to find the, the way to use your time or your resources effectively so that you can always uh, keep moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really great lesson. Very, very great lesson. What makes you so skeptical about going back to nature as a recipe for happiness? Yes, uh, this is um, uh, something that today is very fashionable uh, because I think uh, about half of the books about uh, personal development that you can find in the stores, uh, they tell you to, uh, to find your balance, to go back to nature, uh, to do meditation, uh, to go uh, into retreats for two weeks, and then uh, I mean, to have this, this sort of uh, Eastern um, uh, solutions, uh, meditation, uh, quietness, um, and what I have found uh, through research uh, in history is that uh, most of the time uh, these solutions don't work. Um, and let me tell you why. Uh, the problem with this approach of uh, going back to nature is that uh, the idea of nature that is presented uh, in this kind of uh, books or this kind of seminars or this kind of um, uh, philosophy uh, is very unrealistic. Uh, people get the idea that, okay, you go to this, uh, to this uh, meditation center and then you sit on the ground doing exercises and then you get uh, uh, your spirit is going to be uh, enlightened and this kind of stuff. And this can uh, produce some positive benefits uh, for a short while, if you do it, say, a couple of hours, 
Uh, but if you just go to a village and say, okay, I'm going to live in this village for three weeks and I'm going to become uh, uh, contemplative and I'm going to forget about my problems, the problem is that uh, you're going to be living in an environment which is very artificial. Because uh, if you do this uh, permanently and you go to live in, in, I don't know, in a village or in the countryside in isolation with, uh, I don't know, with, uh, with uh, your, I don't know, cows or sheep or whatever it is, uh, for most people, it's not uh, feasible. Uh, you will not be able to make a living because uh, in our society, in our industrial society, uh, most of the time, uh, this kind of uh, approach is not feasible. It's, it's, it's a holiday, but uh, you should not confuse a holiday with reality. And the idea that uh, you can solve uh, complex problems when people have uh, health problems or, or uh, financial problems or business problems, and you just go on a village or on the countryside uh, to do meditation for two weeks, and, and you are supposed to, uh, to get uh, enlightened, uh, I think is very unrealistic. Because uh, after this uh, holiday, you go back to the problems and you didn't solve anything because uh, you can meditate uh, 20 hours a day, but unless you actually work on the problem and uh, you find uh, practical strategies to deal with disruptions, the fact of going back to nature and eating, I don't know, uh, organic food for two weeks, whatever, uh, it can be helpful, but it's not sufficient. Um, when you look at people who very successfully have gone through uh, disruptions and they have uh, solved very difficult problems in their lives, uh, I don't think you will find a single example of someone who has spent, uh, uh, I don't know, five hours a day meditating and then uh, doing something else. It doesn't work. It's too slow. Uh, it is too artificial. And um, for most people, it's not a way to live because you cannot make a living out of that. It's, it's a holiday. So the message uh, mm -hmm. I give in this chapter of the book, uh, we should not confuse holidays with reality. Holidays mm -hmm. are holidays. They're very nice. Uh, they are good uh, for recharging uh, energies. But uh, when you have problems, you have to face the problems. You cannot hide uh, by going back to nature. Yeah, it's very true. And we all have to make a living one way or another, unless we're blessed <laughs> with trust funds. <laughs> uh, although a lot of times people that end up with a lot of money lose it all. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, this is uh, something that I try to prevent in the book by showing um, uh what you have to do because uh, you see all these stories in the newspapers, uh, these uh, uh, Hollywood uh, uh, stars, and you see these uh, basketball players and they make a fortune and then two years later they are bankrupt. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, this is human nature. Uh, we tend to believe that uh, when you're very successful, we tend to believe that uh, we have uh, superhuman powers and we do a lot of stupid things. Um, we lose it all. And the whole point of the book is to show you uh, how to avoid uh, getting in these kind of disasters. Yeah. What factors do you think make people vulnerable? Yes, uh, what makes people vulnerable and what makes people um, very prone uh, to to get in this kind of trouble 
um, basically it's a short-term orientation. And it is very natural for human beings to believe that, uh, okay, I can do this business and nothing's going to happen to me and I can go into this direction. I can eat any kind of food, any kind of, uh, of uh, crappy food, and uh, this will continue forever. I will always be healthy. And it's very, very counterintuitive uh, for human beings to think uh, in terms of decades. Um, this is a very unfortunate situation, but uh, to a certain extent, we are still uh, animals. Uh, we are thinking about uh, the next day or the next meal mm -hmm. or the next uh, uh, week. But uh, if you want to live uh, 90 years, now, nowadays, uh, there are a lot of people who lived uh, 95, 100 years. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people who get uh, to 100 years old. If you want to have this kind of life, uh, a successful life, long life, uh, you have to think long term. Because if you get focused on the, on the problems today, on the, on the issues today, um, you, which, it's just not possible. We, we make mistakes because we panic. Uh, we think uh, short term. Uh, we believe that uh, the world is going to uh, to end tomorrow because we are facing these problems. And every time you open a newspaper or you you turn on the news on TV or on the radio, uh, you get the message that we are in the time of extreme crisis. Everything is going to collapse. Uh, uh, there is no way out. This kind of nonsense. And uh, this is just because. We love this, um, this short-term orientation. It's so entertaining. It's so compelling. It's so um, um, uh, addictive that uh, it takes a lot of um, uh, will, a lot of uh, discipline uh, to take a step back, uh, to turn off the TV, and to think about the next decade, the next um, uh, part of your life, and to try to make up a plan that you can implement uh, little by little. And it's not intuitive, it's not evident, uh, it's not self-evident, but uh, you will find in all the stories in my book, you find this mentality. People who make it uh, very successfully, uh, these are people who are able to think ahead, not only for a week, but for years or for decades. Okay. Think ahead. Yeah, I can see how we all can get stuck. You know, you're you're living in the now. You don't want to have to sit down and figure out the rest of your life. Yes, um, and um, I, I devoted actually a, a chapter of the book about uh, getting stuck uh, mm -hmm. because sometimes when people go into a crisis, uh, adversity, it's not because they are facing a huge problem. It is because they are they are paralyzed. They, we get into a situation where we cannot grow. Uh, in our health, in our relationships, in our job, uh, because we cannot uh, uh, gather the energy uh, to take action and to do something else. And uh, in the book, I present a lot of examples of people who uh, got stuck in their careers and very, very cleverly uh, by using uh, different strategies, uh, they were able to find uh, with minimum risk uh, a way forward. And for instance, one of the stories I present is uh, the story of a, of a gardener. Uh, he was a very modest uh, person. He had uh, almost uh, zero education because he was uh, working as a gardener uh, since he was 14 years old. And eventually, by trying different strategies, he became uh, very, very wealthy. Uh, he started to build uh, glass houses. 
after he built uh, glass houses uh, in the in the garden in different uh, gardens he became uh, an architect uh, by building uh, glass houses um, uh, for uh, exhibitions and eventually he became extremely wealthy and this is the kind of strategy you need to use uh, if you're feeling stuck in your career i think uh, this is one of the best strategies you can use uh, to actually uh, extrapolate uh, your skills into different uh, areas without taking a lot of risk. Uh, you can move mm -hmm. very, very uh, comfortably uh, from one career to the next and, and actually avoid uh, disruptions. Mm. Well, it's been a fascinating interview. I want you to tell the audience how they can purchase your books. Where do they go to get them? And we're speaking with John Vespasian. Yeah, John Vespasian is super easy uh, to find my books. I have um, a blog with a lot of uh, free articles. It's a free newsletter. And the books are easily available. Um, uh, you just type my name, John Vespasian, uh, on Google or any search engine. You type uh, John Vespasian, and you will find the books uh, in a second. They are available on Amazon. Um, they are very, very easy to find. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your latest book again. I have learned a lot. I thank you so very much for that. And I look forward to talking to you again. Uh, many thanks, uh, Denise. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that wraps up our show for today. A fascinating one it is. This man is a wealth of information. Join us again next week. We'll have another great show for you. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? <laughs>